We're continuing in our series about authentic faith. There's some th questions that we need to ask ourselves all through these series, and that's this. Is our faith authentic if we define faith by what makes sense to us? And are we really being the church if we pick and choose what we will obey and what exceptions we can make and which commands are optional? We've been talking about the core practices of the early church, uh, wanting to identify ourselves with them. This authentic faith is a thing of really finding out and being certain of what we believe, that it's true, that it's God's will, and then in obedience, acting on it. And to ensure our faith is authentic, we've been focusing on these core values. They're listed in Acts, the second chapter, in verse 42. Said, this is from the New Living Translation. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, in parentheses, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, in other translations, it says the breaking of bread, but what is referenced there is the observance of the Lord's Supper. This is the one that I have the privilege of speaking on this morning. And much of what I will share, you may already know, some of you may, but there may be, and there will be some things that many of you have not known or heard. And I just pray that I can put it all together in such a way that it's going to impact your understanding of the significance of the Lord's Supper and its importance to your spiritual health. Now, Here's why. We really need to focus on this. Any activity, if repeated on a regular basis, has a tremendous tendency to lose its significance and lose its importance and lose its meaning. And even though it's an activity that is highly significant and highly important and highly meaningful, it can become a mindless ritual that we repeat without thinking and remembering, as we should, and thus without the benefit of the observance. And in the case of the Lord's Supper, improper observance can bring God's judgment on us. We'll talk about a few of these things today, but to fully understand the significance and the benefits of the Lord's Supper, we start with the history of how it all began and its roots go back much further than the night before Jesus was crucified when he was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. It actually goes back to the book of Genesis, the second book in the Bible. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is that God's activity in so many times in the Old Testament was foreshadowing what he would ultimately do through Christ to save us. And all along in these stories, these events, these teachings, and these commands, God was weaving the doctrines that have become the core of our faith into all of these stories. Now, the roots of the Lord's Supper go back to the night before God delivered the Israelites from the cruel slavery in Egypt. By the tenth plague, in killing the firstborn son of every family in Egypt, but God made a way for Israel to escape that judgment in an event that became known as the Passover. 
Now, unfortunately, there is too much to cover in this short time to give all of the details that preceded the Passover and those other nine plagues, but you can read the whole story in Exodus chapters 1 through 11. I recommend that you do that. But meanwhile, there are important points from the Passover that foreshadow the Lord's Supper. And I want to point these out. The first one was the Passover was a deliverance from slavery. God told Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Secondly, for God's chosen people, the Passover was a deliverance from God's judgment on this death of the firstborn. And God made a way for the Israelites, if they would follow what he said, that they could escape and have deliverance from that judgment. The third thing is, the Israelites' lives were saved by sacrificing the life of an innocent substitute, a lamb without defect. And proof of their faith was in the obedience by spreading its blood on the top and the sides of their door frames of their houses. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Also, the Passover feast began the fulfillment of his covenant to Abraham and the choosing of his descendants as his chosen people. He said to Moses, therefore say to the Israelites, and this scripture here was used very important scripture to use in the cedar services that the Jews still practice today in the Passover observance. It talks about the four I wills of the Lord. And it says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And then finally, you'll see in chapter 12, God gives many directions on how they are to observe the Passover in later years. But God made it very plain to them that this Passover feast was to be remembered and celebrated. He said, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, all of these had a huge significance in foreshadowing the future sacrifice of Christ, who is described in the New Testament and the book of the Revelation as the Lamb of God that takes away our sins, that delivers us from God's judgment of death and from slavery to sin and our observance of the Lord's Supper shows this. Now, still back with this original Passover, the elements of the food that were used in that first Passover were just the Passover lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Through the centuries, however, to enhance their remembrance, additional foods and wine were added, as well as to how the meal was to be celebrated. But most of the tradition was fully developed before the first century and the time of Christ. Now I wish, again, I had time to go into all the foreshadowing in the last Passover feast that Christ celebrated, 
but it's more important that I focus on the teachings of our Lord and the apostles concerning our observance of the Lord's Supper. Because so much of what is done and the different food items in the Passover feast celebrated by the Jews was related to their personal relationship with God as His chosen people. But for all of us Gentiles who would come to salvation through Christ, the two essential items are the ones that are related to our relationship with Him and our being saved from our sins and death and becoming included in His chosen people through the covenant that Christ was making for all peoples. So the Lord instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, that last Passover feast with His disciples. But only two elements were used, the cup and unleavened bread. And as it's recorded, and He took bread and He gave thanks and He broke it, and He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But keep in mind, this was instituted in conjunction with the Passover feast. But what's the correlation then of the Lord's Supper with the Passover? What does it represent for us? Well, you'll see a big similarity here. Because for us, we have deliverance from the slavery of our sins and our sinful nature. In Romans 6, 6, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And in verse 14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Secondly, we have deliverance from death, just like the Israelites did. I think you're all familiar with Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans 6.23 it says, We are to remember Christ's death as deliverance from eternal captivity in hell to eternal life with God and our Savior. Now thirdly, we have been spared by a substitute sacrifice. God presented Christ, this is in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. And He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Fourthly, Christ began the new covenant with His blood that extends for all peoples of the earth. And in Ephesians 1.7 and 2.13, it reads like this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, you who were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, Fifthly, the Lord's Supper, just like the Passover, is to be celebrated and remembered. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 and 8, he says, For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, 
let us keep the festival. And this is what we do every Sunday. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now God instituted the Passover feast and all the feasts of Israel with many specific instructions on how to prepare for it, how to observe it. Why? He wanted them to remember the things that God did to bring salvation to us through Christ, to bring His people into a covenant relationship with Him, mighty acts of love and grace. And He wants us to remember these things. There's only one instruction that the Lord gave for observing the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, with only one command to do this in remembrance of him, does that minimize the importance or the significance? On the contrary, it maximizes it, makes it much more important that we do this in remembrance. Now, the question comes, how often should we partake? Some only observe the Lord's Supper once a year. Some churches once every three months, some churches once a month, and then others, like Morrison Hill, observe it weekly and at other special events and occasions. And according to the writings of Luke and Paul, the church observed the Lord's Supper whenever the church came together. I found that significant, but especially on the first day of the week when they came together, always then. This was one of the core practices that they devoted themselves to. Why? It kept the memory and the significance of how God acted on their behalf to forgive them and give them new life. Can you imagine what that would do to us if we only celebrated this once a year? We could live the whole rest of the year without ever thinking of what God did to save us. The only problem is are we remembering? Are we really remembering? Now, we mentioned this is one of the core practices, but what we need to understand is this. That was so important to the church. They had to celebrate it every time they gave them together because it just emphasized and increased the meaning all the more. According to the writings of Luke and Paul, the church observed the Lord's Supper whenever they came together, but on the first day of the week, And even the writer of Hebrews put it this way. He said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching because of the significance For us, as we try to follow the pattern of the first century church, as they did, Scripture indicates that, you know, even when the church was scattered, that even then, wherever the church went and was established, they continued to observe the Lord's Supper as a weekly thing. Now, since the Lord Himself did not make any commandment as to how often, We do not consider either of these time preferences of once a year, once every three months, once a month, whatever, as a matter of faith, but as a matter of preference. Why? 
We observe the Lord's Supper weekly because we know it was the practice and it was important to the first century church. And the weekly observance helps keep us on track as it did the first century church by remembering the purpose and the benefits of Christ's self-sacrifice for our sake. But the when in our observance is not as important as the how, how we remember him and remember the significance and the purpose of his death. Here's where I want you to really pay attention. We're getting into what may be new territory. Here's where we often fall short in our understanding of the most likely place where we would err in remembering as we partake. I want us to think about the church in Corinth because we're going to look at some scriptures there, but this church was plagued with all kinds of problems. As you read through the book of Corinthians, every chapter, a new problem Paul had to deal with. You finally get to the 11th chapter and you find out that they've got problems there with their meetings because one of the primary purposes of their meeting was the Lord's Supper, to celebrate their forgiveness, their new lives, their unity, the fellowship that they had with the Lord's Supper. But to the Corinthians, Paul wrote, your meetings do more harm than good. Wow, why would that be? Let me give you one hint and I'll develop this later on. They lacked love for each other in a way that Christ taught us to love. The first century church, they always had what they called the love feast when they came together, eating together, breaking bread together, but observing the Lord's Supper together because this was the primary purpose of their meeting was to celebrate their forgiveness. But then what they were doing was following more of the culture of that time and really not realizing this is going against the kingdom culture. You see, in early Roman homes, they were designed to reinforce social status and rank within the social space of the house. And this was especially the case where meals were served because the better food and the better service came to the guest of greater status in the large dining room, while those who were less significant in rank or whatever status, they were served in the nearby atrium with the leftovers from the others of status and rank. Therefore, there were sinful, secular divisions in the observance of the Lord's Supper with drunken gluttony on the part of some and this caused the poor in the church to be shamed. But both of these outrageous practices broke the unity and the equality of the body of Christ. And these are central to the significance of the Lord's Supper. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And here's what we need to understand. Social status and social rank in our community are relative and insignificant when we come to observe the Lord's Supper or when we gather together as the church, the body of Christ, 
because we all stand on equal ground in need of the Lord's forgiveness and in need of His salvation. And just because we have a higher social rank or status does not make us any more important to the Lord or to the church just because of that status. And we need to recognize this because the Lord's Supper, what this does is it reminds us of who we are in Christ. I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy, but I'm saved. And God loves me. I should be loving my brother like Christ loves me. That was one of his commandments. I want us to look at the writings of Paul to the Corinthian church and dig a little bit deeper into the significance and implications, or the truths actually, that are related to the emblems that were designated for our use in remembrance of him. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, mixed in with Paul's warnings against sexual immorality or any connection with any kind of idolatry, Paul reminds the church of the blessings of their privileged status in Christ by relating these to the significance of the Lord's Supper. Listen to what he says in verse 16 of chapter 10. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? The Greek word for participation means sharing, a communal participation, a fellowship in or a fellowship of something. And as Christians, the blood of Christ through God's substitute sacrifice for us has provided the forgiveness of our sins. Drinking that cup of the Lord's Supper is an act of faith that is symbolic of the reality of our personal sharing in the fellowship of and the communal participation and in the benefits of forgiveness through Christ's shed blood. Now I want us to see a participation in this. Paul also wrote this, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf and we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Now we've got to break this up because there's two things here. Participation in the body of Christ is not participation in the church as the body of Christ, but a participation in Christ's body in the same sense as the parallel participation in the blood of Christ. It's reliving the crucifixion with Him. We partake of that bread, we're participating in His body, hanging there in pain, suffering for our sins, dying the death that we should die. It's like, if you can remember that old spiritual, you know, says, were you there when they crucified our Lord? Yes, every Sunday we go back, we remember, we participate in that. We're there watching that and knowing it was for me and it was for my brothers and sisters in Christ and has brought us all together in one body. But now in the other part of that verse where it says the one body and one loaf, this does refer to the church community. The Lord's Supper brings us into God's presence and allows us to experience Him corporately like nothing else could. As you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're saying, I'm so thankful for my forgiveness. I see this brother over here. 
oh my goodness, has his life ever changed? He's become so precious. This sister in Christ, oh my goodness, what a servant for the Lord. And here we are, we are in a familial relationship as brother and sister in Christ. And we're all sharing the benefits of the body and the blood of the Lord that brought us salvation. The Lord's Supper is a feast of covenant and remembrance. And the covenant is that of fellowship with Christ and fellowship with each other. Now, after Paul reiterates the circumstances and manner in which the Lord's Supper was instituted, he adds two other significant purposes in observing it. Number one, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death. And adding on to that in the same sentence, till he comes. Wow. Remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death. Now, the world might come to hear uh, to a service and wonder, what, what are these guys doing? What, what's all this about? And they may not know. They may not understand. But we do. This is reminding us of the salvation that we have in Christ. And so, so very meaningful. That's what these emblems represent, His body, taking our punishment, bearing God's wrath on our sins, sacrificing His life, shedding His blood for the forgiveness of our sins so we could be redeemed and reconciled to God. And it needs to be a reverent time, but a time of celebration. Thank God for the change that He's brought in my life. Thank God for His salvation. Thank God for the hope that we have in Christ. But as well as reverent, it needs to be a joyful time of thanksgiving. Now this phrase, until He comes, we're called not only to remember the past events of the cross, but also to look forward to Christ's return and the fulfillment of the remanifestation of the kingdom of God. And only after Christ returns and eternity has begun and all the saved from all the ages are with Him in heaven with the meal that will be fulfilled as we dine with Him in the wedding supper of the Lamb that's referred to in Revelation 19.9. Wow, can you imagine? Oh, all this time we're observing the Lord's Supper till He comes. But there'll be a time when we celebrate it with Him personally and with all of the saved from all of the ages. Wow. As we focus on this, I want us to remember another scripture here from Hebrews, the ninth chapter and verse 28, because meanwhile, till we get to join in that wedding supper, we need to focus on this. Christ, Hebrews 9:28. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Wow. Now we come to a very important warning in regards to our partaking of the Lord's Supper. Paul said in verse 27, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now this is one thing that has been misunderstood by many in different places, different times. I saw it in both of my ministries where 
the Lord's Supper was being passed and people would just pass it on and not partake. And their thinking was, I just really haven't lived a good life. You know, I may have really failed up this, last, this past week, gotten angry, you know, wh- whatever. I'm not worthy. This has nothing to do with the worthiness of the individuals who partake. Why? Because none of us are worthy. We understand that. That's what makes the blood and the body so significant and so meaningful to us. We're not worthy, but he died for us. So what does this have to do with not partaking in a worthy manner? Well, firstly, not taking the Lord's Supper seriously, not focusing on the event or the meaning or the significance of his death for our salvation. Remember, we do this every Sunday. Oh, now it's time for the Lord's Supper. Okay, we'll take that, you know, here you go, it goes on. Wait for the next part. Wow, can't we do better than that? Paul said in verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves from partaking in that unworthy manner of not really remembering with thanksgiving and joy. Then secondly, as we've learned, it also has to do with our lack of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the wrongness of our self-centeredness and even our judgmentalism. Paul said in verse 31, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Now, even in this congregation where I saw people saying, I'm not worthy, and they just pass it on, I also saw people who I knew had issues with someone else in the congregation, and they would come into church, oh, I'll go sit over here. And even during the service, you know, if they happen to look over there, they're remembering their bitterness, their unforgiveness, their lack of love, and all the while thinking, but I'm right. They're in the wrong. I'm in the right. And then will all of those wrong feelings in their heart, they go ahead and take the Lord's Supper. That is something very serious. To avoid the Lord's judgment, we need to do a couple of things here, but I want to say this. This partaking in an unworthy manner like that, like I was illustrating, that's division. And the Lord's Supper is to help us preserve our unity and protect us from division by protecting and strengthening our love for one another as on equal ground in the body of Christ. And if God could forgive us, we ought to forgive others. It's wrong to enter into the Lord's Supper with unforgiveness or bitterness and ill feelings towards someone else that keeps you from loving them as you should. To avoid the Lord's judgment, we should do two things, judge ourselves and examine ourselves. To judge ourselves is to recognize as sin the eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper in a manner that belittles the essential saving significance proclaimed in the meal and the consequent behavior that is appropriate to the meal. Now, to examine means to test for genuineness. To examine is not, as some often understand, to become either retrospective or introspective concerning our sinfulness 
although it is needed from time to time. But we're to genuinely recognize our part in the crucified Christ for me attitude before we eat and drink the cup. Then to ensure that our attitude and our manner of loving, living and our love for our brethren in Christ are genuine, genuinely sharing and participating in all that the body and the blood of Christ proclaims. Those are so important. Judge yourself, not someone else. Examine yourself. Am I really remembering in a worthy way? I'm so thankful that the fellow that led me to Christ told me, he said, David, this is the reason we meet on Sunday. It's not just an afterthought, it's not just a ritual. This is the reason. We gather to remember the sacrifice that God made of His Son for our salvation. He said this always has to be the focal point. I want to talk with you a little bit about what I know goes on in many houses and I have to admit goes on, it has gone on in mine. We get up on Sunday morning. We know this is the day that we're to come to church, the day that all the brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God get together. But we're running late. Would you kids please hurry up? Oh my goodness, oh, now this is gone. You spilled the milk, you know, and all, all these things. And, and all of a sudden, we're in no frame of mind to worship. And so we drive on to church. We get here, you know, and we just have to, okay, let's, let's try and get things right here. I, I would like to recommend this. Since we know this is the reason why we get together, Let's start out preparing ourselves as we get up Sunday morning, thinking about, oh my goodness, here I am, a Christian now. I'm thinking of all the changes that have come in my life. Oh my, I'm thinking of my church home, my congregation, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is so neat. I love the getting together with them and, and just realizing, hey, we're, we're all in Christ. We're family of God here. And then we remember, you know, the great love and the sacrifice. We realize we're coming to celebrate that again. We're coming to remember that in a very meaningful way for our lives. And do it in such a way that it's not just, yeah, okay, I remember he died for my sins. Yeah, I remember his, you know. No, we take time. It's like that ritual. Were you there? when they crucified my Lord. We go back in that, and we not only consider that our fellowship with Him, our covenant with Him, but our fellowship and our covenant with each other because of the body and blood of Christ. So if we can just use our time building up, boom, what a difference. But the difference that it'll make is not so much the difference it'll make in our worship service, but the difference that it'll make in our lives throughout the week. If we don't take this time to really remember, to really consider the meaning and significance of everything, we just sort of drift on our own. But something like this can really enhance our fellowship, our lives in so many ways. And we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper now in the way that we usually do. You guys come forward, you serve yourselves as you're ready. But we're going to take time for you, and I, I want you to remember some of these things that we've said. Remembering Him, 
remembering each other. We're all here because of him. We're all here participating in the body and blood of our Lord.